the Apollo Podcast Network. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Road to Glory podcast presented by Apollo Media. I'm your host, Chris McGeehee. You can find me on Twitter at Chris B. McGeehee. Guys, I'm coming to you solo this week. Um, Des is obviously, he's got a lot of Astros stuff going on. Can't fault the boss man for being away doing that. Uh, you know, Astros are having a hell of a series against the Red Sox. So, yeah, you guys are going to get to rock out with me this week. And uh, I, I look, I want to start with some opening thoughts about Coach Orgeron, the LSU situation. Uh, as many of you know, if you've listened to this pod before, I'm a huge LSU fan. Grew up watching LSU. They've been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I, I, I haven't lived in Louisiana in, you know, uh, almost two decades now. and. I went to a different college. I went to the University of Houston, proud alumnus of the Cougars. But I've never stopped watching, rooting, cheering for the Tigers out of LSU. And the Coach O situation is complicated for me. I I hate that it's come to this. I understand why it has come to this there's you know everybody's touched on it there's the reports of him mishandling the sexual assault allegations and the issue with former tigers running back darius geis there is the you know the the distraction of the photos surfacing with him you know with a woman in bed after you know his divorce from his wife miss kelly and there's the the incident on Fox News. And honestly, all of that, eh, it's the on the field that that was obviously the death blow for him. Because at a school like LSU, for as much as I hate to say it, as long as you find a way to keep winning consistently, all of that off the field stuff does not matter. It does not matter unless it is of the most egregious variety and unfortunately over the last two seasons coach o just hasn't had us there i mean he we went five and five during the pandemic shortened 2020 season we all know what last year was like and i really did try to make a hundred excuses for him every excuse in the book if it was there i touched on it i talked about it being a pandemic shortened season, I talked about how we had the mass exodus of players, of coaches. Obviously, we were due to come down a peg. This isn't this isn't like an Alabama situation where you know he had just a bunch of players lined up ready to go in a normal season. You are, you know, you're you're integrating new players, you are dealing with new coaches, new play callers on both sides of the ball. Obviously, on the defensive side, Dave Aranda goes to become the head coach at Baylor, and he's doing a pretty good job over there. Uh, Only got one loss this season, I believe. Joe Brady obviously goes to become the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers in the NFL and is, you know, likely still on his way up. And in the meantime, LSU hired – Scott Linehan and Bo Pelini, 
on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, respectively. Bo Pelini was here for LSU's national title season. And there's a story about how Orgeron admits that he didn't properly vet Pelini, who after his LSU stint went on on to become a, a middling coach at best. And it was awful on the field, on the defensive side of the ball last season. I mean, we start off making K.J. Costello look like he should be the number one overall draft pick last year. And then I believe he he ends up getting benched later on in the season, doesn't get drafted. I mean, if that tells you how bad that LSU defense was, I, I if I remember correctly, I think it was the worst defense in the history of LSU football or like the worst since like 1929 Something along. I mean, it was it was really really bad. It was atrocious, disgusting, whatever adjective you want to use. And then I came into this season, and all off season, I've always been a pessimist. But I came into this season, and I said, you know, Chris, <laughs> listen, they uh, they've had an off season. They got rid of Pelini. Obviously, recognized the mistake there. They got rid of Linehan. They brought in Joe Peets and. Uh, Durante Jones and things are going to get better. You got some returning players. You have an older offensive line now, and you know, you've got Max Johnson back there. Cool. We are looking at nine, maybe 10 wins this season. There was only a few games that I was concerned with coming into the season, Uh, obviously Alabama. And I was concerned with A&M. And then other than that, I thought that, Basically, every game was winnable. And then LSU comes out to start the year, and they get absolutely blasted by UCLA. I mean, just could not stop anything on the ground against UCLA. And it was was one of those where you're like, okay, let's explain this one away. And you say, you know, first game of the season, UCLA has already had a warm-up. You did put up 27 points on them. This is an anomaly. And then next week, the next week against McNeese, they they won 34-7, but they still didn't really look that good. And then you give up 21 points to Central Michigan, despite the fact that you won. And you hold on against Mississippi State. And at this point, they're three and one, and you're thinking, okay, okay. And then you have Auburn on October the 2nd. And Auburn's always a tough matchup. We, you know, no matter the record, they these two teams, they always play each other tough. And this was another one. We, I say we, Jesus, I need to stop doing that. LSU held the lead all game against Auburn, essentially. And Bo Nix, to his credit, made some incredible plays. I mean, one of the most incredible escapes slash touchdown throws that I've seen in college football this year. And ultimately, LSU loses that game 24-19, and you're starting to think to yourself, okay, so that's what this season is going to be like. We are going to win against lesser competition, and it is going to be a struggle to beat anybody better than you. And that is proven by getting absolutely lamb blasted the following week in Lexington, losing to Kentucky 42-21. And you're like, okay, 
another one where they just did absolutely whatever they wanted. They ran it all over us. And at this point, I'm down. I'm down bad. And Florida's coming in. I sat on the pod with Des, which, for the record, uh, I apologize. We did record the preview. Technical difficulties stopped it from going up. I do apologize. Will not happen again. But I said that going into that Florida game, the line was 13 and a half in Florida's favor. And I told Des that not only was Florida going to win, they were going to – they were going to beat the spread. I, I really thought that this was going to be a 21, 28 point game because they were going to be pissed about last season and the shoe game and knowing that they should not have lost that game to us. And LSU comes out and absolutely just does whatever they want to do on offense. I mean, they, Ty Davis Price sets the school record for rushing yards. And this is after having not been able to run the ball at all of this season. I mean, at all. And he comes out and he just runs what seems to be the same counterplay over and over and over on Todd Grantham's Florida defense. And they could not stop it. And Max Johnson basically took the day off. I mean, he, you know, he only had 130 passing yards, but they didn't need it because LSU still put up 49 points in a 49-42 win. But even after that game, you know, I was talking to my dad, another big LSU fan, obviously. And I told him, I said, you know, I actually feel worse about this team after this game because yes, we won. Yes, we put up nearly 50 points. However, the final turnover margin, LSU was positive four in turnover differential and we still only won they still only won by a touchdown and that is not a good thing i mean if you if you force four turnovers don't give the ball up yourself there's no reason that you shouldn't be winning by two three scores minimum and yet we had to escape with a seven point win so right after the game it comes out that orgeron and lsu they've reached a what they called a separation agreement he will be bought out he will get the remaining 16 million and some change that is left on his contract he will finish out the season with LSU and then he will be gone which leads to the question where do they go next as far as coaches and there's been a bunch of names floated out there of course between it being LSU and being a quote-unquote destination job There's been talks of Jimbo, of Saban, of Dabo, and Lane Kiffin, and Mel Tucker. And just if it's a big name coach, you name it, James Franklin, the name's been connected. And I want to temper expectations here. It's not going to be Dabo. It sure as hell is not going to be Nick Saban. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is coming. I Lane Kiffin, I could potentially see. I mean, yes, he's you know, he he's got his team at, at Ole Miss, and would he be jumping within the same division? Yes. It's not unheard of for Lane to jump teams, obviously. Um, but I do think that Lane has matured, you know, over time. And it would be interesting to see him in charge of the LSU offense. I would hope for nothing but the best, of course, but you know, it's out there. And Mel Tucker, the head coach at Michigan State, currently has his team undefeated, top 10 in the country. But he has jumped teams several times within the last couple seasons. And the question is, would he do it again? I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know 
who the next coach at LSU is going to be. What I do know is, and, and I say this as unbiased as possible, whoever the next coach is, they're going to come in with every resource available to them. They own the state of Louisiana. They have the pipeline in Texas. I mean, they have won outside of Alabama. Nobody has more national championships than LSU over the last 20 years. And sure, it's an arbitrary number, but it just goes to show that, you know, Nick Saban, Les Miles, Coach O, the last three LSU coaches have all managed to win a national title at LSU. It is not it is not a stretch to say that the next coach could do it too if you hire the right coach. However, the next coach also needs to understand that coming into a job like LSU, there are expectations. It is hard as hell. The fans do not accept anything less than the best and competing every year. Um, and thankfully, we're, we're not as bad as UT fans but there are still expectations and I just hope for the sake of the school, the football team, the administration, I hope that whoever they pick next is the right choice. And in the meantime, over LSU's final five games of the season, I would love to see them knock off Ole Miss and Alabama and A&M, you know, and just make this administration sweat. I know they're not going to renounce their decision. It's set. You can't walk it back now. But, I mean, how funny would it be if, you know, if if Coach O gets the boot and then he knocks off a top five Alabama team, missing half his team in Tuscaloosa. I mean, it would just be the absolute funniest ending in the world. And, you know, that that's it as far as the LSU job goes. Um, we've – We've got to wait and see, but I think that no matter how it plays out, I'm going to be intrigued. The only thing that I would say is I hope that it's an offensive coach. You don't want another situation like Joe Brady where you have an an offensive coordinator that comes in and just absolutely lights everything on fire, and then you lose him to a step up the ladder. I mean, you know, you bring in your offensive guy, make him the head coach, That way he cannot get poached unless it is for a true dream job or a true step up maybe into the NFL. But you guys know what I mean. And, um, you know, and then have your defensive guy just be the coordinator. And uh, that's that's what I'm hoping for. So we will see. All right, guys, we have some more to talk about and we are going to do that right on the other side of this break. All right, guys, and we are back here at the Road to Glory podcast presented by Apollo Media. Once again, I'm your host, Chris. We talked in the first segment about the LSU job. I get it. I know some of you did not care, but, you know, as an LSU fan, I it was something that I needed to talk about. This is my therapy, and you guys are my therapist. So it is now time to move on from that. I'm not going to mention it again. But we do have to talk about, you know, some of the things that took place last week before looking ahead. And number two, Iowa had they dropped like a rock after finally losing their first game of the season. They lost 24-7 to Purdue. This is a week after upsetting Penn State with Penn State 
you know, they, they lost Sean Clifford in the middle of that game and they just had to watch their lead slip away while Iowa came back on them. And then Iowa goes against a Purdue team that is now four and two on the season. And Purdue just absolutely outplayed Iowa all day. And this is what an Iowa team looks like that isn't getting the turnovers that they need. They just don't have the offense on any given Saturday to compete with some of the best teams in the nation. It was fool's gold to think that they were going to get to the playoffs, even though personally I was hoping for it. If we're just being quite honest, like I was hoping for it. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I still wanted to see it. So in the rankings right now, you know, Alabama after their loss to A&M, they had dropped to fifth just outside of that playoff spot. But of course, you know, having Iowa drop like a rock to number 11 after their loss immediately bumps Alabama back up into a playoff position. You've got Georgia, Cincinnati and Oklahoma. You're one, two and three all undefeated so far this season. Cincinnati up to number two. Man, good job by Luke Fickle. Honestly, I, I, you know, I obviously people are going to point to the schedule, but he has built a very consistent program at Cincinnati. And as an alumnus from an AAC school, I would love to see Cincinnati be able to make it to the playoffs this season, even if that means them beating Houston, if we're being completely honest. Um, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are your four, five, six, and seven right now. Of those, Michigan's the only one that's still undefeated, but they're ranked underneath Alabama and Ohio State because, let's be honest, they just haven't looked quite as good. I mean, they have struggled. Yes, they're 6-0, and but that 6-0 and comes with, uh, you know, a touchdown win against Rutgers, um, a three-point win against a Nebraska team that is one in four in the conference on the season, three and five overall. I mean, it's not a very good, you know, team. They've got six games left this season, including going to Michigan State, to Penn State, and then they've got Ohio State at home to close out the season as is tradition. Michigan, I hope you guys are enjoying being six and zero. Oh. You might even beat Northwestern this season. I do think, however, that that they go down to Michigan State in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, the day before Halloween. Oregon is sitting there at number 10. They are 5-1. and one. Uh, Right above them, sorry, you've got Oklahoma State, Michigan State, both undefeated currently still. Ole Miss, after Lane Kiffin's, uh, let's call it interesting, return to Knoxville, they are sitting at five and one this season, only losses to Alabama, and they're in 12th. Notre Dame, five and one at 13. Coastal Carolina still undefeated at six and zero, sitting in that 14th spot. And Kentucky is currently second in the SEC East, sitting at six and one, with their only loss being to the number one team in the nation. However, it was not a pretty loss. Des and I in the um unheard podcast from last weekend's preview said that their best option would be to lose a close game because we didn't think that they were going to be able to win final score was 30 to 13 but that really you know doesn't actually state 
how lopsided that game was. Georgia is just – they seem to be on a mission this season. They're rolling through everybody. I don't blame Kentucky, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm impressed with what Mark Stoops has been able to do so far this season. Um, but, you know, down near the bottom of the top 25, there's a couple of teams that I want to point out. Baylor is currently sitting at 6-1, and one, ranked 20th in the nation. Uh, they were unranked last week, but, you know, over the course of the last several weeks, They've had some good wins. I, you know, they their only loss is to Oklahoma State so far this season. But, you know, they they beat BYU pretty handily. They've beaten West Virginia. They beat Iowa State by a couple. And uh, you know, they're they're scheduled to close it out. They have UT uh, on the thirtieth. They've got TCU, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. And honestly, for for Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears, I mean, you're, you know, theoretically, you could be looking at a, a 10 and 2 end to this regular season. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out with that Oklahoma game. Uh, I do think that Oklahoma right now should be considered the favorite in that game, especially if Caleb Williams continues to play, which is a conversation for another time. But Baylor is having a respectable season. And considering where they were just a few years ago, there's something to be said for that. SMU currently sitting at 6-0, and uh, 21st in the nation. They're up a couple spots. San Diego State right behind them, 6-0, and up a couple spots to number 22. And then you've got Pitt, UTSA, and Purdue to round it out. And look at UTSA, guys, 7-0, and ranked 24th in the nation. And, you know, I, you have to like their chances to go undefeated if they can get past Billy Napier and Louisiana Tech this weekend. And uh, right now, I, they are considered the favorites in that game. They're, they're six-and-a-half-point favorites. There's a good chance that they win, and yeah, it'll be interesting. I, If you've listened to this show before, you have heard me say that I enjoy – chaos in college football i love to see things that really go against the grain which is why i am loving seeing cincinnati ranked in the top but yeah you know we we talk every week we look at some of the best games across the nation and really this week i think is kind of more about the storylines you know it, it looks like caleb williams is now the guy at oklahoma that is not going to change SMU's got their matchup on Thursday night against Tulane. That game is on ESPN at 6.30 in case anybody's interested in watching the Mustangs. It, they're actually, you know, they're, they're a solid team. If you, if you sit down and watch them, I think you'll be impressed by how well coached they are. Uh, Sonny Dykes is doing a, a great job over there. And then, you know, this, this weekend, in terms of games, I mean, we've got – you know, Cincinnati's taking on a Navy team that they should absolutely destroy. Oklahoma's getting Kansas. Penn State's getting Illinois. I mean, these are games that they, they're, they're not going to be any good, if we're being honest. And as a fan of college football, I don't want you to think that I'm disparaging the sport. I love it. But you have to recognize sometimes that, man, if there was ever a weekend, maybe, you know, carve a couple of pumpkins with your significant other or your kids or, you know, anything like that, you know, getting, getting into spooky season 
Uh, you know, this would be the weekend to do it. There are a couple of good games. I think Oregon-UCLA is going to be a good game. It'll be interesting to see how this LSU team uh, responds with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this weekend at Vault Hemingway in Oxford. Um, and then, you know, the night games always, you know, the Pac-12 games coming on later. Um, but really this week, it's just Hawaii and New Mexico State. And that's – we're not even getting a great after dark game. And so I, you know, I think that uh, I think that what we're looking at this week is really just kind of the state of the state of, of college football. Uh, we've, we've made it through half of the season and we've got, we've got surprises. We've got disappointments. Clemson sitting outside the top 25 they're four and two on the season they're taking on Pittsburgh this weekend the Pitt Panthers and Pitt's favored which you know considering what has gone on the last couple of years between Clemson and Pitt I mean they've they've beaten Pitt by I think it was 35 last year and 31 you know in, in I think it was 2018 and so to see the state of these programs, because if last year you asked, you know, Pitt versus Clemson next year, who's going to win? Nobody would have told you Pitt. And yet it, this is looking like, uh, you know, Clemson could potentially fall to four and three after this weekend. And that is not something that we expected coming into the week. Right now, your leaders in the ACC are, uh, Wake Forest in the Atlantic, they're 6-0, and ranked 16th in the nation. They're 4-0 in the conference. And then on the coastal side, Pitt is the leader. They are 5-1 and overall. They're 2-0 and in the conference. Th- the thing here is with Pitt, they – I just don't know that they have I, – I just – I want to see it. I, and I know that sounds harsh, but just given our track record with – with some of these mid-table SEC teams, or I'm sorry, ACC teams, I have to see it first before I can really start to buy into them. I mean, in the Big 12, Dez was screaming at me that Oklahoma State was fraudulent and UT was going to absolutely demolish them. And we saw what happened. Texas once again comes out looking strong in the first half only to get lamb blasted in the in the second half of the game and for UT I don't want to say it's another lost season but it's hard to kind of frame it as anything other than that and the way that it's stacking up right now it looks like your Big 12 conference title game could be a battle of Oklahoma you you know you've got Oklahoma sitting there 7 and 0 ranked 3rd in the nation Oklahoma State sitting at 6 and 0 um, ranked eighth in the nation, as I said. And, of course, those teams do still have to play each other. It's going to be the last game of the season, as is tradition with these two schools. But if they both go into that game undefeated, which is absolutely possible, I will be absolutely thrilled to watch that game, no matter who comes out as the victor. I think that Oklahoma State's defense has truly turned around this season. I mean, that's always been their liability. And this season, they have absolutely turned around. And the point differential for this team is right at, uh, I believe, like 42 points, if I'm not mistaken. And 
that's just not like an Oklahoma State team. They're they're like the Texas Tech teams that I grew up with, where you know they're they're putting up tons of points and still getting outscored by seems like just a couple of points every single time. And so the Big 12, I know Oklahoma and Texas are going to be leaving sometime over the next couple of years, but it'll be interesting to see the way that it plays out between now and then because I love when it comes down to things like this. I love seeing the best teams in the conference being able to go against each other, and it looks like we're going to get that with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State or Oklahoma and Baylor, some combination of those three teams playing each other, no matter what it is, is going to be absolutely enthralling. In the Big Ten, you've got just in the Eastern Division of the Big Ten, you have four teams ranked in the top ten in the nation. You've got Ohio State at five, Michigan at six, Penn State at seven, and Michigan State at nine. And I have absolutely no idea how this conference is going to play out. I'm not going to pretend to. What I do know is that whoever comes out of the West they're going to have to take on a team in the Big Ten title game that is absolutely deserving of being there. Um, Michigan State and Michigan are both still undefeated right now, still have to play each other. Ohio State looks like they're turning a corner. I don't think that their defense is going to reach the levels of greatness that they want it to, but I do think that they're starting to find a rhythm on both offense and defense. And, you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out, but – it's another one where every week you have to monitor, all right, what's going on with these teams? What are they doing? You know, it looks like Sean Clifford's coming back for Penn State after their loss to Iowa a couple of weeks ago. And if they're able to pull off some of these upsets, you know, if they, if they can beat the Buckeyes or the Wolverines or the Spartans, I mean, there could be some chaos in the Big Ten. And it's going to be so fun to watch. And, you know, the, the Pac-12 – don't ask me who the best team in the Pac-12 is because I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I really think that it is Oregon. I think that they have the most talent, but, you know, they, they finally lost. They're down to number 10 in the nation, and I think that they should come out of the Pac-12. But going up against Todd Whittingham's Utah team, you know, potentially in the, in the Pac-12 title game, would be so, so fun. Uh, I do think that Utah, even though they don't have the best athletes in the nation, I do think that they are absolutely going to make you earn anything against them. And, you know, Kentucky has been one of the biggest surprises of the season in the SEC. We we talked about this last weekend. I want to give Kentucky some love. I know we talked about them losing to Georgia this past weekend, but – Man, I mean, what Mark Stoops has done there, it'll be hard for him to sustain that over the course of multiple seasons. But so far, it has been, you know, I love seeing a team like Kentucky win. I, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it in 07 when they beat LSU in triple overtime that season. I've never hated Kentucky more. But watching what they're doing right now is is absolutely fun and it there's things like that all across every single conference this season it it hasn't been as crazy as last season with the pandemic but this season has held plenty of surprises as well i love it and i cannot wait to see what comes next and what comes next for you guys is right on the other side of this break All right, everybody, and we are back. 
And I got to tell you guys, if you're still listening, I absolutely appreciate it because I will tell you it is weird as hell to talk to yourself for an extended amount of time. And uh, there's a couple more things that I want to get to here. I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet, get you guys out of here and ready for this college football weekend. The first thing that I want to talk about in this last segment is the now ex-Washington State coach Nick Rolovich. It has come out that he plans on suing over his firing from the Washington State football team as its head coach, along with four of his assistants. Now, look, I this isn't a podcast where we want to get political or, you know, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. It's not what we're doing here, okay? The, the fact of the matter is, Rolovich is, was a state employee. There was a mandate that all state employees had to have a mandatory vaccine or an exemption by this past Monday, October the, I want to say it was 18th. And that day came and went. Rolovich did not have the vaccine and did not have an exemption approved, which he was doing based on um, his quote-unquote devout Catholic faith, not saying anything about Catholics. I'm just specifying that that is the reason. Now, look, no matter how you feel about any of it, it seems like the simple fact of the matter is, as a state employee, you have to abide by what they say. You didn't get the vaccine. You didn't get the exemption. You're out of a job, period. For him to then sue over this, he is claiming that it is because the uh, athletic director at Washington State, uh, Pat Chun, he's claiming that it's because Chun is vindictive. And if you can prove that, that's one thing. But I feel like if you could have proved it, then you probably would have uh, done so already. And so we're going to see how this plays out. But look, I'm, I'm not I'm not taking a whole lot into account when it comes to this um, this potential litigation so far, just because, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. There's going to be victims of the pandemic, both, you know, in, in real life and job wise. We've seen it all over the country. This isn't anything new. And, you know, I, if, if you're Rolovich fine. You know, you're pissed. I get it. But you had a choice, man. You made your choice. You got to live with the consequences, period. That goes for any and everybody, whether you get the vaccine or don't, you have to live with whatever decision you make. And it looks like Rolovich doesn't want to do that. So we're done with it. We're moving on. We're not going to talk about it anymore. I just wanted to get the thoughts out there on that real quick. The other big news coming out is that six schools have accepted invitations to join the American Athletic Conference. Uh, Those six schools, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB are all coming from uh, Conference USA. And as such, Conference USA looks like it might be on the verge of just being kaput um, because the Sun Belt has then come out and said that it is interested in expanding past its current 10 football members. And it looks like uh, some of Conference USA's remaining schools might be the target for that. And uh, the, the schools left in Conference USA are Marshall, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, 
FIU, Old Dominion, UTEP, Louisiana Tech, and Southern Mississippi. Now, some of those games, or I'm sorry, some of those schools do make absolute sense for the Sun Belt just from a geographical standpoint. The, the Sun Belt currently has schools uh, in, in Alabama, in Georgia, in Louisiana, um, you know, it, Arkansas, you know, you're talking the South here. So a team like, um, like UTEP, a team like Southern Miss, if they want to add another Louisiana team, you know, then Louisiana Tech would be, uh, you know, an interesting candidate. It, it really comes down to how much they want to expand, how many, how many members they're looking at taking on. They've currently got 10, you know, let's say, let's say they do four. You're talking Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, and hell, maybe FIU get that Miami, Florida connection go in there you know and uh and try to create a little more of a pipeline a little more exposure for the Sun Belt, uh just as far as a tv audience look guys uh you know conference realignment i know a lot of people hate it but it is what it is uh you know it's not going to stop this has been going on for a while and things always shift like this you know we see the sec grabbing Oklahoma and Texas this go round, which leads to the Big 12 grabbing uh, the University of Central Florida, Cincinnati, and U of H from um, the AAC, which leads to the AAC grabbing these six teams from Conference USA, which leaves the Sun Belt trying to poach the rest of the teams from Conference USA. It's look, it's a domino effect. And it's not going to go away anytime soon. You know, powers are going to keep, you know, um, coming together. It's if we're being honest, it's a money play. What is going to be most beneficial in terms of status and money and exposure? And that's exactly what we see happening here over and over and over again. We've seen it with some of the failed grabs of conferences. Namely, you know, the AAC trying to, trying to grab, you know, teams like Boise State, things like that, and being told no. Um, but that doesn't deter any of these conferences, any of these schools. If they see a more advantageous position, of course, they're going to take it. And I'm not knocking it. I'm not supporting it. I'm just letting you know that it is what it is. And I've accepted it. And whether you like it or not, you're probably going to have to accept it at some point, too. Because, you know, let's say in, you know, another decade, you know, maybe there's some teams that get jettisoned out of the SEC and they get replaced with somebody else. And you have a team like, you know, Arkansas or Tennessee who are heading to, you know, the the ACC and maybe Clemson then comes from the ACC into the SEC. You know, there's all these things that could continue to happen. And I don't put it past any of these teams, any of these schools, any of these conferences, any of these athletic directors to do what is in their best interest at any given time. And I just think that that's the way the the state of college football is going to be going forward. Guys, listen, um, we've been without Des this week. Des has been a busy man. If you've listened, I appreciate the hell out of you. Uh, Just know that you've let me vent about Coach O and the LSU situation, you've let me talk about the the state of college football, the surprises, the disappointments. You've let me talk about conference realignment and coach firings and all these different things. And, you know, 
thank you. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely appreciate anybody who listens to me every week, just talk about what I want to talk about with college football. And guys, look, Des should be back with us to do our weekly recap come this Sunday. Uh, but in the meantime, once again, just thank you guys so much. And I look forward to talking to you again very soon. This has been the Road to Glory podcast presented by Apollo Media. You can follow Road to Glory on Twitter at Road to Glory Pod. You can follow the main at Apollo HOU on Twitter. Um, you follow Des, you know, at Apollo Des One. Not only does he have college football content, he's got, um, you know, Astros content. He's got, he's a crying Longhorns fan, if that's something that you enjoy. Uh, Texas is never back and Des hates it every single weekend. And uh, if you want to, you know, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you know, cool. My my handle is at Crispy McGee. Guys, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again next week.